As Jeff mentioned, we are glad you're here this morning. If this is your first time, or maybe second time, visiting Midtown Baptist Church, we are glad that you're here. And uh, if you're not a Christian, we are also glad that you are here to gather with God's people and to hear His word being proclaimed. Our text this morning from the Bible is going to be James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. This is what the author, James, says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God given to his church for our good. Please pray with me. Father, your mercies are indeed true, uh, new every morning. And you are faithful to your people, Father. We thank you that the Lord Jesus is faithfully building his church. And he is doing even so now as we hear from your word. Father, I pray that you will give your people ears to hear, ears of faith. Give us a heart of obedience and submission to you. And Father, I pray that you will keep me from error, that you will keep me faithful to the text this morning, so that we may hear from your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen. amen. You may be asking or wondering, what in the world does, have, does James chapter 4 have to do with Palm Sunday, right? Don't worry, the, the Easter message is coming next week. Uh, Jeff is going to preach a, a legit Easter message so if you were expecting a pre-Easter message this morning, um, that's not what I'm doing. <laughs> but the, I think it's a valid question. What does James 4 have to do with Palm Sunday? You could say nothing, right? James has nothing to say about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But you can also say everything. James chapter 4 has everything to do with Palm Sunday, as you recall, we just read Psalm 118 this morning, which celebrates the triumphal coming of the promised king. Ms. Hope read, Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Psalm 118 celebrates the promised king who comes to save God's people from their enemies and to usher in God's rule and blessing Upon them. That's what Psalm 118 celebrates. The question that the psalm, the psalmist, answers in the next psalm, Psalm 118, is how does the promised king usher in the blessing of God uh, and the kingdom of God? And the answer is through the word of God. So 
Psalm 118 celebrates the coming king, and then you flip the page into Psalm 118, and you have the king, I will say, exalting the word of God, uh, embracing the law of the Lord. So the promised king of Psalm 118 comes to establish the kingdom of God by exalting the word of God in Psalm 118. Which means that our king, the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't do his kingly work in spite of the scriptures, but through them. Right? You, you, you cannot have the king Jesus without his work. The Lord Jesus Christ builds his church and rules his people through the word of God, not in spite of the word of God. And therefore, I believe that the best way to honor our king this morning on Palm Sunday is to do what he came to do, namely to exalt and proclaim the word of God. And there's no better way to do that than just preaching through books of the Bible, which is our practice here at Midtown Baptist Church. So you could say that because James 4 is the word of God, um, there's nothing better for us to do on Palm Sunday than to give ourselves this morning to the hearing and to the obedience of God's word by faith. We do indeed come this, this morning to James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. If you have been with us for a while, you know that while Jeff is preaching what we will call our main, main series in the book of, uh, books of Samuel, there's a few of us who uh, preach through James 4 whenever we give Jeff a break, right? So today we are in James chapter 4. As a way of reminder of where we are in the book, James has just finished addressing a conflict within the church, beginning in verse 1 from chapter 4. And this conflict, this strife going on in the church was caused by deep-rooted jealousy among the believers. The quarreling and fighting in the church was caused by the fact that some in the church were exalting themselves above the law of God. If you recall from verses 11 and 12, James writes, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So by putting themselves above the law, these people, these believers, were exalting themselves above God himself, who is the giver of the law and the one true judge. So James confronts their arrogance even earlier in verses 6 through 10. He reminds them that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And therefore, he calls them not to exalt themselves above God and his law, but to submit themselves to God, to resist evil, to draw near to God, and to live lives of faithfulness consistent with faith in Christ. So in summary, what, what James is doing in, in this chapter is calling his readers and calling you and me to humble ourselves before the Lord in order that he may exalt them. When we begin to exalt ourselves, then strife and jealousy and all kinds of sin start to fester within the church. So James calls us to humility. 
into faithful living before the Lord. So our text this morning, and I will even say the text from next time we preach in James uh, chapter 5, starting with verse 1. But our text this morning serves as the gracious means by which God humbles these self-exalting believers that are causing this turmoil in the church. So James calls us to humble ourselves, and he also gives us, by grace, the means so that we may humble ourselves. And that's our text this morning. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James writes to warn his readers. This is a warning. And his warning acts like a double-edged sword, which cuts both ways. First, the, the warning is a word of judgment, I believe, for unbelievers, those who exalt themselves about, above God. But it is also a severe word of implied grace for those who believe. A severe word of implied grace for those who believe. The warning itself is the means by which the Lord works saving humility in the believer. It's, it, it's a heavy warning. It's a heavy word for the believer. But it is also the means of grace through which God will work saving humility in those who have ears to hear. You may recognize the, the style in which James is writing. It is the style typical of what theologians call the woe oracles in the Old Testament. It's very prophetic. It sounds like an Old Testament prophet. You can also think about Jesus' woe oracles in the Gospels against the religious leaders. Right? They're not the kind of things that you want to you know, read to your kids during bedtime. Right? There are heavy words of judgment and warning. And that's the, the, the style that James uses in our text this morning. But it is important to remember that these oracles, these warnings, are intended as means of grace. They're intended to call people into repentance. You can think, for example, of the prophet Joel, who is offended when God sends him to prophesy against the city of Nineveh. Do you remember that? The question is, why does Joel get offended? Well, the answer is because he knows that speaking against the people of Nineveh, of this wicked city, implies also a call to repentance. So with every word of judgment and with every warning, there's always an implicit promise of grace and of salvation. So James' woe oracle in our text this morning serves the same purpose. It is a call to repentance, a call to faith, and a call to faithful obedience to God. Now, particularly in our text this morning, James writes, I could say it against a group of self-reliant business people, merchants. And these self-relying merchants serve as a vivid example contrary to the life of faith towards, to which James has been exhorting the believers to live throughout the letter. Again, the, the picture of the self-relying merchants is in strike contrast against the life of faith which we are supposed to live. So I will say that James's warning is ultimately a call to faith. Now there's a lot of 
people that will caricature the book of James as the New Testament book of, on works, right? James has nothing to say about faith in Christ. He's all about works. But the reality is that nothing can be farther from the truth. The entire letter of James is concerned primarily with calling the people of God to a life of persevering faith in Christ. James has everything to do with faith. That's the whole point of the letter, to call the people of God to faith and to faithful living before God. We need to remember that James is not necessarily a theological treatise, but a pastoral letter that carries throughout a pastoral burden. And the burden is that the believers will live lives of consistent faith, expressed in faithfulness to God, and love for one another. There's one, one author that I read this past week that summarizes the letter of James this way. He says, James pictures true faith as the direct application of the implanted word in the life of the believer. If you remember chapter 1, the implanted word. The result of this implanted word is vertically the submission to and worship of God. Horizontally, it is concerned for the poor, widows, orphans in distress. The result relationally is living peaceably with others in the church. And the result inwardly is the humility, purity, and gentleness of character that comes from heavenly wisdom. Again, James is primarily concerned with faith working in the church. He is concerned with calling us to genuine and consistent faith, and he employs various biblical means to do so, including prophetic-like warnings, warnings that call the church to repentance and implicitly promise us grace. Again, like our text this morning. If you are acquainted with the letter of James, you may notice that the introduction of the oracle in verse 13 um, carries with it a, a, a weight of prophetic utterance. It is, it is almost like saying, thus says the Lord. So come now sounds like a thus says the Lord. When James writes, come now, it is God who is speaking. When the prophets in the Old Testament will say, thus says the Lord, the people understood that this is God speaking through this man. And God is able to say, come now to us, because he is the creator of the world. God can summon his creatures to come and stand before him to give an account. For many, that sounds extremely offensive. But the reality is that every single inch of this earth, every molecule in the universe, and every hair of your head belongs to God. He is the sovereign Lord. And He can say to you and me, to the Christian and to the non-Christian, He can say to us, come now. And He calls us into accountability with him. And when he says, come now, we, we must come. It's, it's not like, come now if you wish or if you want. When he says, come now, we must come. In the same way that he spoke to the first man and said, Adam, where are you? Adam had to give an account. Or when he said to Cain, where is your brother? 
Cain had to give an account. Because we are his creatures, we are accountable to God and must give an answer when he calls. And the reality is that you can put God under a carpet for the entirety of your life. But at the end of the day, you will hear the same words, come now. So my plea with you is, if if you're not a Christian this morning, is that you will reckon with the reality that you belong to him because you were created for him. And we must also remember that every come now, now, is but a gracious anticipation of that future day when the voice of the Lord will resound like the blast of a trumpet as he summons the whole creation to give an account before him. Every come now that you hear today is but a gracious anticipation of that final day. So I pray that the Lord will give you ears of faith to hear him calling you this morning. On that final day, as Paul writes in the book of Romans, God will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, for God shows no partiality. Brothers and sisters, there will be a day of wrath and fury. And again, you can put your fingers in your ears the entire of your life, but you will hear the final judgment. The scriptures this morning, James 4, is giving to us as a means of grace that we may continue to persevere in doing good by faith. James addresses those who say today or tomorrow we will go into such a such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Literally what these people are saying is, we can go either to this town or this town, we can do it tomorrow, we can do it next week. We can do whatever we want, whenever we want. What James is summarizing in in these words is the kind of mindset and attitude of heart that relies and glories in the unlimited opportunities and the human potential for making much of life itself. We are a product of the Enlightenment, and we think that we are immortal, right? Our potential is unlimited. Our possibilities are unlimited. We can do whatever we want, whenever we want, and life is going to be great. The attitude that James is challenging here is the attitude of the heart that says, I am my own master and the whole world is before me. There is no end to my potential or possibilities. Now notice what is missing from verse 13. There is no reference to God, right? This word summarizes the life of endless pursuits without God at the center. There is no reference to God which reminds me of uh, Jeff often, he has been mentioning in his, uh, when he's preaching through Samuel, if you recall Saul's life. Saul was a man that had no reference 
to God and he died devoid of God. I think the emphasis here for James is not necessarily on planning, entrepreneurship, or the profit made from business, right? James is not uh, coming down on those with entrepreneurial mindsets. Praise God for people like Chandler, right, and others in our congregation. They have that mindset um, to create business, to make profit. James is not necessarily emphasizing that. There's, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of these things. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go to work, and hoping that in two weeks, I'll get a paycheck so I can you know, pay mortgage and do all these different things. Rather, the emphasis is that there is no reference to God in all this planning. It is an arrogant and presumptuous enlargement of one's life with no other purpose than making much of oneself. That's the issue at stake. There is no reference to God, and all this planning is only to make much of oneself instead of making much of God. The problem with this attitude is that it is built upon a fallacy. The reality is, as James reminds us in verse 14, the reality is that we are not as great as we think we are. Indeed, as James writes in verse 14, we are but a mist in the air that is here today and gone in a moment. So looking to the future with no reference to God is not only wicked and evil, but it is foolish. I wanted to use the, the D word, but I don't think that's appropriate for the pulpit, right? So foolish. Let's just call it foolish. Why is it foolish? Well, because we do not know what our lives will look like tomorrow. We just don't know. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Brothers and sisters, the reality is we have no control over our lives. We are not all-knowing. We are not sovereign. But we know that God is. He is. So let me ask you this morning, and I'm asking myself, on, on what foundation are you building your life? Or more pointedly, what are you living for? Is your life referenced to God, or is there no reference to God in your own life? When you think about the good life, what does it look like to you? When you think about the true, deep-rooted aspirations of your heart, what are they? And don't you know, rest your hand to glorify God in Christ, right? Because um, I wish that was my aspiration every single day, but the reality is it is not. So when you think about the good life, what does it look like? Does it look like building a great career and having nice things for you and your children to enjoy? Again, nothing inherently wrong with building a career and having an iPad for your kid to play. But at the root of it all, is, is, is that all you're shooting for? My admonition to you this morning is that you will ask the Lord to reveal to you what are the true aspirations of your heart. Because the only good life, the only one who will satisfy your heart is God himself. Nothing else will do. And I know you know that. 
And that is why in the gospel, God promises to give us himself, right? He doesn't, promises, he doesn't promise to give us, you know, more wealth and more health and more prosperity. What he promises is to give us himself, and he delivers on what he promised. When you ask yourself the question, why did Jesus die? Did he die for, uh, so that we will plant big and trade and make a profit like the people here in James? Or so that we could tear down our barns and make new ones to have more room for stuff? Well, the answer is obviously no. As Peter writes, the righteous died for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Jesus died so that we may have God. God himself is the greatest gift purchased for us on the cross. He has promised nothing else but himself. So the question is, are you and am I, are you living a life or are you living your life as if God is the greatest aim and greatest treasure? Or is he simply an afterthought that you pay homage to on Sunday mornings as you go about life, making plans and getting more stuff. So James' warning here serves, serves us as a reminder that human life and wealth are transient. Wealth and power are both short-lived and dangerous because wealth and power, by facilitating self-reliance and self-indulgence, tend to run contrary to faith. Hear me well. Again, I am not saying that power and wealth are inherently wrong. What I'm saying is that they tend to facilitate the kind of self-reliance and self-indulgence that run contrary to a life of faith. So in contrast to verse 14, James calls believers to a life center and dependent on God. He writes in verse 15, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Now, as you may know, the Lord is the covenant name of God. And so James is, what, is, what James is doing is he's calling believers to a life of covenant relationship with God. A life of faith, obedience, and dependence on Him, not on self. When it says, if the Lord wills, I guess... We have two options. Uh, is James either talking about the will of God by which he decrees things to happen, like in chapter 1, verse 18 or 19, where he, he decrees to call people through the implanted word of God, or in chapter 5, uh, you, you will read that James uses the example of Job and how God had decreed all things, in essence, for Job's good. You can say that, yes, James is talking about the will of God by which he decrees all things. But also, James emphasizes the revealed will of God. The revealed will of God in, in, in the scriptures. And I will say that in our context, in James 4, he is probably talking or emphasizing the, the will of God which has been revealed to his people so that we will live faithful lives. Remember again that James is concerned with faith working out in obedience to God's word. 
In other words, rather than living lives with no reference to God, like those in verse 14, we ought to live lives of faithful obedience to the revealed will of God in the Scriptures. If you're like me, when I was you know, finishing high school and college, and even still sometimes today, you know, I have those moments where I'm like, hmm, I wonder what the will of God is for my life, right? Before I you know, married, and I was wondering, I wonder what the will of God is for my life, where am I going to go to college, or who am I going to marry? Um, I hope I have something to tell you about that, but I, I, I have nothing. Um, I do recommend a, a little book by Kevin DeYoung called Do Something, I think it's called. Um, it's a very practical book if you are considering um, big life decisions in your life. But I do know that the will of God for his people is that we will trust him, that we will live by faith, that we will live faithful life of obedience to him. So the will of God for your life is a life of faith and dependence on Christ. Now, the life of faith is not a dormant life. The life of faith also plans and acts. But the difference is that it does all these things with reference to God as the center of our existence and as the ultimate aim of our lives. Faith works dependent on God, knowing that He is the sovereign Lord and that His purposes will be accomplished. In verse 16, James summarizes the stark contrast between the life of self-reliance and the life of faith. The life of self-reliance boasts in its own arrogance. It is a life driven by self-exalting pride because it exalts itself above its maker. And all such boasting is evil, James says. In fact, according to verse 17, any boasting that is not boasting in God is contrary to faith and therefore wicked. A good example of this Arrogant boasting is found in Jesus' parable in Luke 12. Jesus says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. So he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to to store my crops. And he said, Well, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain, grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Saul, here's the boasting, right? Saul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Wonderful plan, right? Except that God comes and he says to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Brothers and sisters, James this morning is calling us to be rich toward God. The life of faith does not boast in arrogance, but in God. It acknowledges that we can only do as the Lord wills and as the Lord allows. So the question this morning, I guess, will be, what does it look like to boast in God? God, what does this life of faith look like? 
as you can see from the title of the sermon, I think James will say, well, faith looks like boasting in God and not in self. But how, how do we do this? How do we consciously and actively boast in God instead of boasting in ourselves? I have four quick practical things. First, we boast in the cross. That's what faith looks like, boasting in the cross. Paul writes in Galatians 6, 14, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So brothers and sisters, we do not boast in our worldly status. We do not boast in our religious or spiritual works or achievements. We do not boast in ourselves, but we boast in the finished work of Christ on our behalf, through which we are now dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We boast in the work of God as He makes our hearts alive by raising us up to life with Jesus. As Jeff mentions earlier, sometimes you're going to realize that your faith is hanging on just from a thin, um, what's the word that Jeff uses, used? I'm sorry? Thread. Yeah, that's the word. Thank you. Thread. I feel that way almost every day or every other day. I know that sounds depressing, but that's just the reality, right? So what do we do when our faith is hanging just on a thread? Well, we, we boast in the finished work of Christ. We say, say, say to, to, our, to our soul, Christ has done it all. Christ has done it all. So we boast in the cross. Second, we boast in the Lord. We boast in the Lord. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commands himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commands. So we boast in the work that the Lord is doing in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our nation, across the world. We boast in the work that the Lord is doing in our midst, in our church. We boast in the work of the Lord as the gospel goes forth and new churches are planted. We boast in the work of the Lord as the gospel goes forth and more people are brought to Him by sovereign grace to proclaim His excellencies. And yes, we boast in the fact that Christ is building His church even here at Milton Baptist Church. Right? We are but a speck in the whole world and even um, as we look across other churches, right? We are but a, a speck but we boast in the fact that the Lord is truly, indeed, working in our midst. He is building His church. We might not have a thousand 
members, but we have Christ, and he is building his church among us. And we boast in the work of the Lord among us. So we do not commend ourselves in the work of the gospel. Midtown Baptist Church does not commend itself on the work of the gospel. Rather, our commendation comes from the Lord as we walk faithfully before Him. As we walk faithfully before Him. Not only as individuals, but as a church. So we seek to faithfully proclaim the gospel every week. To open the scripture so that the people of God may be fed. We seek, we, we seek to be faithful in the songs that we sing. In the prayers that we pray. As the church gathers on Sunday mornings, we seek to be faithful to what the Lord has called us, which is to proclaim His Word. So we boast in the cross. We, we boast in the work that the Lord is doing through the gospel. Thirdly, we rejoice or boast in God in the midst of suffering and difficulties. We rejoice or boast in God in the midst of suffering and difficulties. Again, Paul writes in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, we are a young church, and yet we have been very well acquainted with suffering in our midst. I don't think there's a single person among us this morning that has not felt the weight and pain of disappointment, relational conflict, sickness, depression, slander, and even the death of a loved one. But the good news is that because we are a church well acquainted with the troubles of today, we have learned, I think, that it is conceited and foolish to say, today or tomorrow we will do whatever we want. We know very well that we do not know what tomorrow will bring. But we do know that today is not as easy as we, want it, we, we will want it to be. And that's okay. And yet in our suffering, we rejoice in God through faith in Christ, knowing that our sovereign Lord will care for his people and we use all things for our good. He will use all things for our good, including suffering. So we rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ because through him we have been reconciled to God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, we get to be with God. Again, if you are not a Christian or you haven't been to church in a while, please know that Christianity and, and, and this book, the Bible, 
they don't shy away from suffering. Indeed, if you read the letter of James in its entirety, it is a heavy, raw letter that talks about jealousy and strife and people taking advantage of others, sickness. So we do not diminish or shy away from suffering, but we meet suffering, rejoicing and boasting in the Lord, in our sovereign God, knowing that He will use all things, including suffering, for our good, for our joy, to build His church and to make much of His Son. So we boast in the cross. We boast in the work of the gospel. We boast or rejoice in suffering. And fourthly and finally, we boast in God by faith in Jesus Christ. Indeed, faith is boasting in the Lord. Faith excludes, excludes any boasting in the flesh. Because faith looks outside of ourselves to God for justification and sanctification, eternal life. Faith doesn't look inwardly, but looks outwardly to the finished work of Christ. And yet again, I'm going to quote Paul from Romans. Paul writes in Romans that God has put the Lord Jesus Christ forward as a propitiation for sin in order that he may justify those who have faith in Jesus. Earlier in the letter, Paul asked this question. Since we are justified by faith and not, not by works, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Brothers and sisters, faith is boasting in the fact that apart from Christ, we are nothing. He has done it all. And He deserves all of our trust and all of our praise. Faith looks outside of ourselves and boasts in the glory of God and in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And I conclude with this. James reminds us that the mindset of independence from God is foolish and sinful because it is contrary to the life of faith that boasts and glories in God. The life of self-reliance says, I will do this or that without reference to God. But the life of faith says, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. The life of faith boasts in humility as it waits for the exaltation that comes from God. The life of faith boasts in its, in its humility, knowing full well that God will exalt the humble. That's where James started the whole letter. I think it's chapter 1, verse 9. Admonishing the, the poor believers to humble themselves and to exalt in their humility. So brothers and sisters, let us not boast in arrogance, for all such boasting is evil. Rather, let us submit ourselves to God's will and boast only in what He has done for us in Christ. For we have the sure testimony of God's salvation and exaltation of the lowly in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross, and was therefore 
exalted by God. So let us humble ourselves before God by faith in Christ in order that we too may be exalted with him. Amen. Let me pray. Father, I pray that your war may bear fruit in your church throughout this week. That it will be at work in our hearts, creating the kind of saving humility that we cannot create on our own. Father, help us this week to look to Christ and not to ourselves. And help us to boast in your glory and in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf. In his name we pray. Amen. Would you all please stand? And by singing this song together and, and to one another, we are boasting in Christ that by faith, being united to him, we have a hope that is immovable. So immediately we have an application. We have a way to practice uh, the word of God here, boasting only in Christ and his finished work for us.